Good morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We are in a, a series called Exceedingly Righteous. And what we're doing in this series is looking at Jesus's perhaps most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of his most uh, longest or extended uninterrupted teachings that we see at least recorded in the scriptures. And at the beginning of the teaching or near the beginning, Jesus says this interesting phrase. He says, unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you don't get in. And what he's saying here uh, to the listener at the time, they would have gone, whoa, no one's righteousness can exceed that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They could have recited the 612 of the Old Testament laws back to you. And they knew how to follow every single one of them. If you've grown up in a Christian home or ever been around an environment where you felt like you had to follow every single rule to be okay, and then you know what it might be to be a Pharisee. And so Jesus says this phrase to them, but he means something different. He doesn't mean you have to follow the rules or the laws better than them. What he means is you have to have a righteousness that's different, not a righteousness that's uh, just external, what you do, but a righteousness that is internal, what's going on in your heart. See, the righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees is a different type of righteousness. It's an eternal righteousness. It's the type of righteousness that Jesus came to bring. Now, doubtless, an internal righteousness certainly leads to righteous living. In fact, it should re lead to even more uh, righteous living than that of the Pharisees, but it's a different type. So Jesus teaches this at the beginning, and then he begins to walk through different things, explaining it. In the first part of this series, what we did is we looked at uh, what are called sins of the heart. And so Jesus said, maybe you've looked in and, uh, and, and you've followed the rule on the outside. You never killed anybody. This is an example of one. Thou shalt not kill. But he says, but do you hate in your heart? So the righteousness that exceeds is a righteousness that doesn't say, well, I didn't kill anyone. No, it's a righteousness that deals with anger, bitterness, hatred inside. And then at the beginning of Matthew 6, Jesus transitions a little bit. Instead of talking about the sins of the heart, he talks about something much scarier. And in this one, he says this, beware, beware. He doesn't say beware early on. I think because Jesus knows this. We know intrinsically that having anger, bitterness, something raging in your heart isn't good. We, we know that, Christian or not. We see the effects of it. But in this one, Jesus says, beware. Beware because this one creeps in. Almost unbeknownst to us, we can find ourselves uh, after following God uh, in this part or following Jesus now post the cross, we can find ourselves sneaking into this. And it's not sin lurking in the heart. It's self-righteousness. In fact, when Jesus uses the term hypocrite, it means something vastly different than how we use it today. See, today we use the term hypocrite to describe somebody who's following Jesus, um, but has like a secret life of sin on the side. And so we find out that they're in sin, and we're like, you're hypocrites! You were in sin! That's not how Jesus used the term. No, no. Jesus reserved the term hypocrite for those who do good things. Jesus says, beware. You know what he says to be aware of? You're giving to the poor. 
you're praying and you're fasting. Oh, it's so challenging because if somebody walked into our church today and they laid out their Christian resume and they gave generously and they prayed eloquently and they fasted frequently, we would say, wow, you've made it. Get on stage, lead a life group. And Jesus says, oh no, watch out. Watch out. Watch out that all of your good actions on the outside aren't coming from a wrong motive on the inside. Said another way, what Jesus is doing here in this little mini-series within this series is he's saying this, is your faith a scam? Have you learned how to play the game? Have you learned how to play the Christian game in such a way that everybody thinks you're doing a fantastic job? Because of the way you're raising the kids or because of the way you uh, dress or, or, or where you go uh, or, or what you do or what movies you do and do not watch and you think, I've done it. And Jesus says, no, what's going on inside? Even in your good actions, what's going on inside? So then we arrive at this idea of fasting. Fasting is often talked about in the Old Testament. We see it all the time in the Old Testament. We see it early on in the New Testament with some heroes of the faith that are, and it's around the, uh, the birth of Jesus. And then uh, one day Jesus is asked by a group of people, uh, why don't your disciples fast? Now, if you're not familiar with the term fasting, what it means to fast is to intentionally abstain from something. Now, fasting became popular uh, a couple years ago. I think mostly around the movie 300 because all these dudes were like jacked and ripped and they'd intermittent fast and it became this little fad. Well, well before that movie, these guys run up to Jesus and they say, why don't your disciples fast? Everybody fast, but your people don't. Why? And Jesus goes, ah, because I'm here with them. <laughs> you don't need to fast when the point of fasting is right here with you. Now, after Jesus dies and he resurrects and the first church, we see something happen. What? They fast. They fast. And in the book of Acts, we see the first church after the Holy Spirit has fallen fast for two reasons, divine guidance and divine favor. Or we're gonna say it today, to fast is to intentionally abstain from something in order to uh, obtain insights, divine guidance, and impact, divine favor. Now, let me tell you this before you slip into this mode. This is not a magic formula. It's not a potion. Oh, if I fast, then God must. See, the reason Jesus talks about fasting post-talking about prayer is because in his teaching on prayer, Jesus reminds us that our prayers must align with his will. So what's happening here is when, you're, uh, when your will begins to align with the Father's will, when you pray as Jesus would have prayed, and then uh, you add fasting into it, I think it's like a dynamite. So you see them fast in the first church. Here's how I want us to look at fasting this morning. When I was in seventh grade, we walked into gym on the worst day of gym class ever. Why? Not because we were playing dodgeball. No, because we had to run the mile. So the teacher looks at you and says, it's time to run the mile. And for any seventh grader, you begin to think, is this even physically possible? Can a human being do this, right? And I remember that in seventh grade and attempting to run a mile. 10 years later, I ran a marathon much harder than the mile. See, there are things physically when it came to running that I could do at 22 that I couldn't do at 12. 
In the same way, Jesus fasted for 40 days. And today, what we're not gonna talk about is fasting for 40 days. We're gonna talk about running the mile today. And what I hope this becomes for you is, a, and I hesitate to use this word, but I think it's the best, is a spiritual practice. If we wanted to get spiritual, we'd call it a discipline. I'm gonna call it a tool. A spiritual tool that you can use in your life. A spiritual tool, by the way, that Jesus assumes here would be a part of your life as a follower in Christ. And he says it twice, when you fast. Now, if you're anything like me, you say, well, why don't you fast? Because it's hard. <laughs> That's why I don't fast. Not because I don't think it has meaning, not because I, I don't think there's value, not because we don't obviously see it in scripture, but I don't because I like food. Donuts in particular. Jesus says, when you fast, he's gonna tell us what not to do, then what to do, and then what happens when we do what we're supposed to do the way we're supposed to do it, not the way we're not supposed to do it. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Don't look like them. Don't look like the religious people who are running around and their faces look down and they look hangry and they're not doing very well. He says they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. He's revealing their motivation. Their motivation is they wanna walk into the meeting and somebody looks at them and says, why are you so unhappy right now? Why do you look so weak? And he responds to them, oh, I didn't eat this morning. And they say, why didn't you eat? And he says, because I'm fasting. And they go, oh, wow. You are spiritual. You've done it. Good job. You know what Jesus says? He says that if we fast and we, um, uh, and we do it to be seen by others or to let other people know it, that becomes our motivation in it so that other people might think we're spiritual. And by the way, we can apply this to fasting, but you can apply it to anything. Why do you raise your hands in worship? Why do you fill in the blank? He says, if you do good things out of a motive of being seen by others, then it's like the good thing never happened in my eyes. He says, when you fast, don't do that. Don't walk around, woe is me, I'm fasting. He says, no, 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 that's not how you do it. He says, surely I say to you, they have received their reward. Their reward is simply somebody looking at them and saying, great job, or you're spiritual, if that's their motivation. Oh, but Jesus teaches us another way to do it. He says, but when you fast, when you fast, he's gonna teach us how now. He says, don't do it like that because they've received their reward. And by the way, the reward of, of somebody just thinking I'm spiritual is not the type of reward that I want to obtain when I uh, engage in something like this. See, there's a different type of reward that Jesus is gonna get to or, or that we can see throughout the book of Acts and the rest of scripture, that insight and that impact. Like if I'm gonna fast, then I wanna see God do something. Like if I'm gonna intentionally abstain from the flesh so as to worship God more fully, so as to set aside these, these things inside of me that tend to control me, like, like what I'm gonna eat or what I'm watching or what I'm scrolling through. Like if I'm gonna intentionally set those aside, then I want a reward that means something. Said another way, I want some insight into that question I've been asking of God. I wanna see something move that's been held up in the spiritual realm and it needs some extra oomph to get through. In fact, what I'm hoping 
And what I've been praying for you this week is that at the end of this week, you're going to look back and you're going to say, oh, now it makes sense. And it hasn't for months. Or you're going to look back and say, oh, it began to move. Like that was it. Completely unrelated to my teaching, I had lunch uh, with a friend that I haven't seen in about two years on Wednesday, and we're sitting there talking about his new career and how we transitioned out, and you know what he said to me? He said, I was completely confused. I fasted for two weeks, and at the end of it, I knew exactly what to do. I didn't even tell him what I was teaching him. Okay, so how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we, how do we use this tool? He says, but when you fast, when you fast, anoint your head, anoint your head. And now in the Old Testament, we see anointings of the head with oil all the time. Uh, We see David being anointed king. We see Saul prior to him being anointed king. We see prophets being anointed. We see all of these different things. Now, every time that somebody is anointed, their head is anointed, what that means is that person and nothing else. Focused right there, them and no one else. An anointing is a way of narrowing. So what does this verse mean? When he says, anoint your head. I'm breaking a record here because I'm gonna reference the movie, The Patriot, twice in one series, which is always a win. There's a family who told me they went out and rented the movie and watched it. So at least my sermons are having some impact. Now, in this movie, The Patriot, there's this opening scene where uh, Mel Gibson and his kids have to go rescue their brother. And he looks at his brother, or looks at one of his sons, Mel Gibson does. He says, what I teach you about shooting he says, aim small, miss small. Exactly. He says, aim small, miss small. In other words, narrow, focus. Here's my hope for you this week. That as you engage in this practice, in this discipline, that you do so with focus. Where you don't wake up and say, all right, well, I'm fasting. So God, bless me. God, do something. No, 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 no. I hope you wake up with a focus that says, God, this thing has been going on too long. I've been waiting too long. And this week, by the power of God, we're gonna push this thing through. Focused. God, I've been asking and begging for an answer to this question for so long. And I'm with focus, I'm gonna attack it this week. Aim small, miss small. He says, when you fast, you fast with focus. Fast with focus. He says also, wash your face. <laughs> wash your face. Eh, this one's pretty obvious. He says, let there be a freshness to you when you fast. Not gloomy walking into the meeting. Oh, I'm fasting. I'm just trying to get through the week. <laughs> just trying to survive. No, 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 no. Freshness. Like, like you pop up out of bed and you know, I don't get to eat lunch today and I'm still excited about my life. That's freshness. A freshness that wakes up and says, God, I haven't done this before and I don't know exactly know what to expect, but I'm ready to see you move. I've got an anticipation, God, that you're gonna do something. Focused and Fresh. He says that your fasting may not be seen by others, which means you don't get to tell anyone. At least you should try not to. Don't drop it as what was you in the middle of the meeting. Or We're going to talk about a social media fast. Don't post about it, please. It's the question, right? 
It's the modern day tree in the forest. Does anyone actually fast from social media without anyone knowing about it? That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. So how are we going to fast this week? Well, let's talk about it. By the way, uh, I will email out all of the explanations of our fasting this week um, right after service today. So if we don't have your email, just write it down and and we'll send you a handout with everything on it. We're going to fast in four different ways. Four different ways this week. And I would encourage everyone with focus and freshness to engage with us. That there might be some insight and some impact that happens in your life this week. Proverbs 24 30 says this, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Nobody wants this field and no one wants to be this man, I promise. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and they want as an armed man. This guy looks over this field, and he sees it, and he goes, this field is supposed to be producing blessing. It's supposed to be producing crops. It's supposed to be producing shade. It's supposed to be helpful and good, but it's not. It's covered with all of these things. Your mind is this field. Your mind is this field. And if we're not careful, our mind gets so filled with all of this unnecessary stuff that what is supposed to produce blessing, what is supposed to be good, what is supposed to be used for righteousness, what is supposed to be used for advancement is not. Let me say this another way. When I watch too many episodes of Suits, I start thinking more like Harvey Specter than Jesus. So Monday, we're gonna fast from media. Let me tell you what this includes. The news all of it, that might right alone just set some of you free, okay, from fear. Music. (gasps) Video games, including Fortnite. (laughs) Podcasts. Anything. 24 hours. Monday at 7 a.m. to Tuesday at 7 a.m. And here's what I'm asking. For 24 hours, let the message of God's grace swim in your mind and heart more than all of those other messages. More than that personal development podcast you need to get through your work week. More than that music that you need to motivate you to work. More than that um, Netflix that you need every night to relax. I think we miss a lot of God's messages because we're constantly filled with other messages. And so for 24 hours, we're going to practice listening and hearing God's message for you. By Monday, you might have already received more insight into God's presence than you have in months, simply because as soon as you got in the car, you didn't flip on the radio. And now you're three minutes into your ride. No music's playing. You're twitching. And God's speaking. It's Monday. Now, if you survive through Monday, we get to Tuesday. First Peter 2, 2 through 3. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, you already know where I'm going. Tuesday's food. 
I don't even need to tell you how much we build our lives around food. Is there going to be food? Is there going to be food? Isn't it amazing that people who make tons of money will still show up to something just because there's free food? It's like it's like it's stuck in us in college and then we never get rid of it. And when we think about not having food for a certain amount of period, it's like something goes, ah! 24 hours. And here's what I hope. I hope hunger pains hit you hard. And every time they do, every time they do, you go to the Father. And first, you remember the pain that he experienced for your salvation. And secondly, you long for his presence in that moment. That instead of eating whatever you eat, you would go to this, the bread of life. And you would say, Jesus, feed my soul before my body. And while you're doing it, you're focused. Like you are focused when you are saying no to the bagel in the morning or at lunch. You're focused when you're, you hate your job, but 30 minutes of lunch is the only time you like, right? And now you're not even gonna get to eat on Tuesday during that time. And instead of uh, groaning and complaining, you're gonna, with focus, you're gonna go to scripture and you're gonna say, God, I'm eating these words for lunch, which sounds weird, but I'm asking that you'd move. I'm asking you'd move in me, that you would change me because I've been waiting for so long and maybe, God, I just want to focus in on it. Please change me. Okay, that one is actually going to start Monday night. We're going to Jewish fast. So that starts Monday night after dinner, okay? Monday night after dinner, eat dinner, you know, whatever, okay? Now, some of you are already, like, doing math. You're like, or not math, but you're thinking, you're like, wait a minute. That means Monday night I can't eat or watch Netflix? Yes. <laughs> Talk to your spouse. <gasps> or your kids, or yourself, whatever. Here's the deal, by the way, and I hope somebody will take me up on this challenge. We all know that the average Netflix show is 42 minutes, right? Instead of turning it on, I dare you, read and pray for 42 minutes. Start a timer, 42 minutes. And see what happens. Some of you are like, shoot, I watched three episodes a night. Yeah, well, do the math. So that'll go... Eat dinner Monday night, and then you fast till dinner Tuesday night, and you get to eat dinner Tuesday night. It's a math thing. That's 24 hours. Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. High school students, I love you. That's why we're doing this. First Samuel 16 through 7. And by high school students, I mean also middle-aged moms. Okay, First Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We spend an exorbitant amount of time building an image and an identity on our social media channels where our, 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 our thoughts on ourselves, our thoughts on other people are based upon what we posted, how many people liked it, how many people shared on it, how many people commented it. We know all of this, you've heard all of this, and it's true. And we have a natural ability without even looking to open up our phone, find Instagram, and we're 10 scrolls deep before we've even thought anything. 
And we build an identity based upon what we show other people or what we see from other people or we think badly about ourselves because of what other people post or we think highly of ourselves because of how people react to us. And for 24 hours, I'm asking you, instead of building an identity on social media, build and root an identity in Christ where it's supposed to be all the time anyway. And so for 24 hours, every time you mindlessly open up your phone to begin to scroll through Instagram, download version, and begin to scroll through scripture. Or just slap your wrist and put it back down. 24 hours. No Facebook. No MySpace. <laughs> no Snapchat. No whatever. 24 hours. Can I tell you this too? Some of you, you might get in 24 hours without social media and realize, well, what if I did this all the time? Maybe I would feel differently. <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't be so jealous all the time. Maybe I wouldn't be so insecure all the time. Try 24 hours. Thursday. Now there will be a riot in the streets. Colossians 1.11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Thursday is pick-me-ups. Whether it's coffee, energy drink, your glass of wine, whatever it might be, your pick-me-up. By the way, Somebody's like, are we allowed to talk about wine? Uh, we are. It's in the Bible. Um, Bible says what? Don't get drunk, right? Now, obviously, coffee and wine are different. <laughs> the Bible does not say coffee is a brawler. Watch out for it, okay? It does say wine is a brawler. This is wisdom. Nobody drinks too much coffee. And he's like, I'll beat you up now, right? And so this is why the Bible strictly warns us against the excessive drinking of alcohol. All right, over and over. Here's where coffee and wine can be the same. Here's where coffee, Red Bull, Dr. Pepper, Diet Coke, whatever, can be the exact same. We use liquids to alter our mood. We use liquid as the thing that gets us through the meeting, as the thing that stops me from yelling at my kids, as the thing that allows me to relax at night. As a thing that I have to have. So for 24 hours, what I'm encouraging you is to have to have the Holy Spirit instead of the Holy Starbucks. To let God's Spirit strengthen you so much, so much, all power, all power, that you can actually get through the work day without it. That you can get through the meeting, that you can get through the night whatever it might be. And at noon, when you start to twitch or fall asleep, you take a second instead of your coffee break and you find a spot and you say, Jesus, this is really hard. Would you give me strength? And here's what you're doing, by the way. Here's what you're doing. You're learning a skill and the skill is to turn to him first in all things and say, would you give me the strength to do this? Would you give me the power to get through this meeting without a cup of coffee, without a whatever? 
and you're building something. You're building a reliance and you're building a faith. On Friday, Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, uh, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God. Here's what we're gonna do on Friday. Friday, we're gonna fast from all of them for 12 hours. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute. Does that mean I have to go 36 hours without coffee? Okay, if you wanna have a cup of coffee Friday morning, it's cool, okay? Call it grace. But for the rest of Friday, for 12 hours, we're gonna say this, abstain from all of them. And then, Friday night, 7 p.m., break it. Because what's the best part of every fast? Breaking it. You do it every morning. Breakfast, if you didn't get that. Friday night, here's what I want you to do. I want you to celebrate. And I want you to break a fast, and you can break it however you want. Like if you want to sit down and you've got an energy drink, a pizza, you're scrolling through Instagram and watching TV at the same time, feel free. Okay? Most of you are like, that's what I do every Friday night anyway. I'm going to get it all. Do it. Break it. But before you do, before you do, remember the last line. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And you can flip this around and you can say whatever you want. But when it says reward you, I think that means something. And I think what it means is that God wants to move. And he wants to do something. And he wants to do something in you. And he wants to bring that knowledge that you've been begging for and that roadblock that right now the enemy or Satan is just holding up and your fasting is going to blow through it. And you're going to get to the other side and you say, it finally moved. And Friday, when you break it, you look back and see what he did because I'm hoping next Sunday when some of you show up, you're gonna be like the mom who after last Sunday, last week came up to me and she had a picture. And I've known this girl that she was showing me the picture of her daughter for 10 years. And she showed me the picture and she didn't have words, she just had tears because it was her daughter smiling. And here's what she was saying to me. After 10 years of struggling with depression and every mental illness that you can possibly think of, something is happening. It was just a picture of her smiling. And she couldn't even say any words other than God is doing something. Last Sunday, we baptized 20 people and one of them showed up at this church about seven or eight months ago after uh, what any of us would call a pretty rough go at life. And when he showed up, all of us started asking the question, who is this guy? Where did he come from? And why is he so angry? You know what he told me? It's because I don't have anything to be happy about. That's why. And last Sunday, we baptized that guy. And if you know who I'm talking about, you see him walk in here every Sunday now like he owns the place with the smile on his face, coming up and saying hi to people. Why? Because God moved in him. And some of us, I think what this week is going to do is it's going to start bringing some things up or out that need to move. It's been too long. And so hope has died or you thought it's just never going to happen. And you've been running the same play over and over and over. You ever watch a football game and they keep running the same play and they're like, what are you doing? 
Change it up. Change it up this week. Try it. Try it with a focus. One thing, not seven. One thing. God, please move. Get through the week and look back at the end and see how he has with faith.